all the way from Bokota Village in Limpopo, South Africa, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions, all from the mind of a real-world missionary of almost 20 years. But Paul, I'm excited about this Missions Monday, where we once again get to host Micah Colbert, as he shares with us a sort of sequel to the last time we had him when he spoke to us about leaving the mission field. Today, the question we want the two of you to address is, how does one counsel a missionary who is leaving the field? Carney, thank you. And we are back with Micah Colbert, who we listened to some weeks ago, and we were encouraged by hearing not only about his journey to the mission field to Ghana, West Africa, but also the journey back to the United States. And we're going to unpack some of those valleys that he went through. Micah, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back, Paul. Okay. We heard his testimony, how he came to Christ, the missionary biographies that were a big part of leading you to the mission field. And I often tell people the number one resource that has influenced me, not just towards missions, but spiritually would be, besides the scriptures, would be great missionary biographies. And when I want people to think carefully about missions, I don't tell them to read necessarily books on missiology because those primarily inform. What I love about missionary biographies, if they're well written, is they not only inform, but they inspire. Yes. Rare is the uh, missiology book that inspires, and that's what we need. We need inspiration. Uh, we need persuasion. We mm-hmm. need the Holy Spirit uh, rousing us up to do Great Commission work around the world. And you, Micah, had a great part in my life doing that. And that is, some time ago, you gifted me one of the most influential books I've ever read, and that is the two-volume biography of Hudson Taylor by Mrs. Howard Taylor. Do, do you remember handing those books off to me? I, I did. I did. I almost thought about Indian giving them back. I thought... Oh. I know. I know. it. They were so powerful, and I'd say at least 500 pages at a least. piece, right, or probably right, maybe right. 700. So in the end, you're leaning towards 1,500 pages full of... Insight on missions, yes, full of scripture, yes, but just the piety of this godly man. I remember highlighting it in the plane on the way to Ghana and then on the way back from Ghana. And talk a little bit about those volumes. Talk about Hudson Taylor. You named your son Hudson. So obviously we know what team you play for over here. Talk to us a little bit about that. Love, love, love the two-volume uh, Growth of a Soul, Growth of a Ministry, written by Mrs. Howard Taylor um, about Hudson Taylor's life. So, like you mentioned, you find insight, instruction, inspiration. Uh, I think I mean, that, you just alliterated that on I the do, spot. On the, on the top. Right, you are a preacher <laughs> and a Trinitarian. Three points. That's right. But... Um, Hearing Hudson Taylor's, or just reading Hudson Taylor's, uh, just the the struggles and the growth that took place in his life as he came to Christ, wrestled through the call, ends up going to China, adopts a very different strategy than what other folks had been doing during that time. Which was? Adopting the Chinese dress and um, 
I mean, very, very much becoming one with the Chinese culture. And a different view of raising funds. Right. Right. Uh, not necessarily salaried. Didn't yes. promise a salary to any of the missionaries. This is the beginning of the faith missions right. movement. And not only that, but also very influential in here are these young ladies by the hundreds in England who want to serve the Lord and they don't know how. And Hudson Taylor says, I'll find a way for you to serve. Yeah. China. Yeah. So my parents had read the smaller Hudson Taylor biography, and I believe it was my mother who ended up giving me the larger, the two volume biography. I believe that was my freshman year. And reading that was profoundly influential in my own spiritual growth and development. And again, in my desire for missions. So it really did instruct and inspire not only my own walk with Christ, but just thinking through what missions might look like. And so it gave me a greater love for Christ. It gave me a greater love for missions and even the struggles that missionaries do face. Okay, so let's talk about those struggles. Specifically, last time we talked about how the wings were spread wide. Mm. Uh, the the road had been re, uh, removed of all the rocks. You were ready to speed on your way, doing missions in Ghana, and your daughter gets malaria in such a way that it would be dangerous to the point that you determined through counsel that you should come back to the United States. You come back to the United States, and oh, this is going to be great. You just easily step into your next <laughs> setting. And uh, you find a church to minister to, uh, you minister in a particular church, but actually, that's not the way no. it happened. And here you are, um, one of my dearest friends, best man in my own wedding, and... Uh, you were my co-best man, by the way. Yes, I mean, I did not... Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't have as many friends, perhaps, so I didn't have co-best men. But he, And I didn't even realize about this. I look back and feel bad. I mean, yes, we had an ocean separating us, but I did not realize the struggles mm. that you were enduring internally. Mm. Why? Why is that? And unpack a little bit for us what that valley looked like for you. Mm. So when, when through godly counsel, it was determined that we would stay back, it wasn't as if there was a clear ministry transition from one to the next. There really was no clear next step. And so, adjusting back to the American culture, which in my mind, I think, I mean, looking back, like I wasn't prepared for that reacclimation. I had so, you know, read about and prepared for the cultural adjustments that would take place going to a mission field. That was quite different, obviously, than where I grew up. But in coming back, I was not prepared mentally or spiritually for the challenges of, of entering back into a world that I had left for four years. But it changed quite a bit as well. So there was a, a cultural adjustment that was taking place. And, and specifically around that time when we came back, when we left, the iPhone was just becoming a thing. We come back and then suddenly everybody's on their phone. And you're trying to hold a conversation with somebody and they're looking down at, because there's like a ding or a buzz and, and just was not accustomed to that. 
that was so foreign to me. It seemed so incredibly rude. And yet, for folks who had been going through that time where this was just the new norm, I don't think they were realizing maybe how I was perceiving or responding uh, to that. So there was a cultural acclimation process, but there was also the death of a dream. And that is something that different people face in different ways. But the realization that I might not go back to doing the thing that I had spent so much time preparing for, praying for, anticipating, and now it's done. And and really thinking through um, what would my life now look like? And And my service for Christ sadly had become so much a part of my identity that I can't, I, it was almost as if I lost who I was. So there was a, a loss of identity, the death of a dream, adjusting to a culture, anticipating that I'd be coming back as if things would, were how they were in the past, when it's like, no, there's, there's differences. And people have moved on in many ways, and now I'm coming back into their lives. So a lot of this was going on. And so I was wrestling with bitterness. Um, Lord, why would you do this? Like so many people, they're not even willing to go. We're willing. And, and now we're being that, removed. Now there, and there is this aspect of missions where, in many ways, the missionary is the tip of the spear. The, sure. the missionary is viewed a particular way. And now I think of John Payton's example when he was on the field for four years running for his life. Not to that point for you, but the, it's right. si- similar in a sense that he was there for four years, endured, came back. And when he comes back to Australia, there were people who said, you should have died at your post. Sure. I think. Sure. And, okay. I was there, but I left. Uh, how could I? Is that, is that a part of the death of the dream mm. where you're coming back and you're saying, this was my hope. This is where I was supposed to go. And now it's like, I'm not, I'm not in that position that I perceived myself to be right. for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. I think with with Patton with Peyton rather, he he was facing criticism. We really didn't face criticism. It was almost as if we faced nothing. Um and and to be fair, my expectations of people were not rooted in reality. I would I was kind of going through a self-pity stage. Again, how, Lord, how could you do this? Um the theology that I was confessing the sovereignty of God over all things was not functioning in in my heart at that moment during that season. So there was this gap between my confessional theology and my functional theology because there was this self-absorbed spiraling darkness taking place. And I was becoming bitter because I felt like nobody understood or wanted to understand. And of course, that was not the case. But that's what was going on in my heart, and that's how I was perceiving things, because I was so inwardly focused in that, in that season that I wasn't able to see, here's what the Lord is doing, and the Lord has not abandoned us, and the Lord is not withholding any good thing from those who seek to walk uprightly. So all these things I knew, again, conceptually, and would confess to be true, weren't really functioning in my outlook, in my perspective. And the Lord during the season was really, I think, seeking to remove idols in the heart. My ministry had become very much an idol, and I was now 
that idol was removed. I think it was Calvin who said that our hearts are idol factories. And I'd made an idol out of my service for Christ and had replaced really what Hudson Taylor would call the abiding life, um, walking with Christ. And so in very slow and subtle ways, that shift had taken place. And now the Lord in his kindness was going to have to address that so that I would learn that life, as God intends it, is just walking with him through the ups and the downs, through the good and the bad, through the trials and the joys, abiding in him, walking with him, and allowing his spirit to use me in whatever capacity uh, God would choose for his glory. And so I was wrestling through all of that. I, I honestly can't remember who. I think it may have been Dave Smith with Open Door. Uh, recommended a book called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. A simple pastoral book that just unpacks biblically the wisdom, love, and, uh, and sovereignty of God. So God is sovereign. He's exercising wisdom in how he orchestrates the events of our lives, and he's doing it because he's good and because he loves. And so those truths, again, not new truths, uh, but they came to me in fresh ways, and the Lord used that to really minister grace to my heart so that I could come to a place of real repentance and renewal. And so then it was the Lord. The Lord had to remove that, had to, had to break me of these idols so that there could be a, a restoration, a fellowship with Him, and then a, a renewal of what it means to just live day by day abiding in Christ and trusting Him to accomplish His purposes through my life, however He chooses best. Any final thoughts of how a church, how a Christian, how an individual can minister to a missionary today who may be returning from the field in a similar way that you did? And Mm -hmm. they may be struggling. It might not be obvious if they're struggling. What, What should you look for in someone who's struggling? And where can they point? Where can you point them? How can you guide them? How can you encourage them? through this particular valley? Paul, great question. I think one of, the, one of the most effective things that a person can do in conversing with a missionary who's come back to the field is to acknowledge that there could be a struggle and say, hey, brother, I imagine you might be really struggling with this. How can I pray for you? If someone just acknowledges that there might be a struggle, that opens the door for the missionary then to talk about that struggle, and then to pray together. So just acknowledging that there might even be a struggle opens the door for that conversation to take place. Because if the conversation doesn't take place, there's an opportunity that's really missed out to minister grace to that brother who could really, truly be hurting as he's dealing with the death of a vision, the death of a dream. So just acknowledging that that could be taking place, and then allowing the missionary to to kind of unload the burden, and really listening well, having a hearing heart to just allow, again, the missionary to express the burden and then to pray with them. That would be, that's a huge thing that a person can do to, uh, to encourage a returning missionary. If I could just add on top of that, a verse from Philippians chapter 2, Epaphroditus is sent from the church of Philippi, goes to minister to Paul's needs, and Epaphroditus is just a normal guy in the church, a normal Christian. We have no indication that he's any kind of preacher. And on the way, he becomes very ill and to the point of death. And 
he visits Paul, and Paul decides to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And the believers there, they're very concerned. And he anticipated that perhaps uh, they would have given him some grief for coming back. And so Paul specifically says, this is Philippians 2, 29, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Micah, thank you so much for being with us uh, today. It's been a great blessing. Thank you. Appreciate it, brother. What a treat, Bofundisi. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those questions to paulschleyline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. I'm your host, Yamikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it from Missionary Minds.